ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Now from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, bring you the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank, I'm Branham. It's Brian McDonald behind the glass, and it is a Friday edition of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. It's a getaway edition of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Rockets were trying to get out of that game yesterday. They actually stuck. They actually hung in there. Uh-huh. Uh, made it a valiant effort there in that second half, even though they shot the ball as poorly as you could. They almost shot 100 times yesterday. It's a lot. 33 for 90. They almost shot 100 times. They took 99 shots in that game. You want to guess how many threes they took in that game? Well, he wants them to shoot 40 a game. So I, I, they, made, they, they were there. They were a little over 40. They shot 45 three-pointers. They only made 11. Uh, they were 24%. To their credit, they were in that game. They they made the Suns work. Uh, they made them sweat a little bit in the fourth quarter, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of things happened in that game mm-hmm. yesterday. And you can start in two different spots. You can start with Jalen Green, who was good, but still, like, doesn't make winning plays. Like, he went off in the first half, and then he finishes with an inefficient 10 for 28. Uh, he finishes with four turnovers. Like, he doesn't finish at the rim. So it's like, yes, yes, we see the promise there, Jalen Green. You scored 34. You knocked down seven threes. Obviously, there's a lot to be happy with that. But even when he's good, he has bad moments in a lot of plays that he made yesterday. And I know he had the best plus-minus of all the starters, all of these things. But still frustrating at times because you see nights like yesterday where he has the talent, but still a few plays here and there that uh, doesn't really help winning. Yeah, no, you watch him, and and the level of frustration is you see, the like you were talking about, the success when he starts getting some buckets of how talented the kid can be in the league. But then you see that that almost... He self-anoints himself as the guy that has to basically almost shoot it every time down, and he and he, then he starts taking bad shots, and that leads to what you're talking about about the inefficient shooting percentage, and you see guys looking at him side eye, and then he looking at other guys side eye when he doesn't get to shoot it, and then the whole offense looks just completely out of joint. And you're right, they hung around a lot better than I thought they would because one, it's a road game, and two, because. They beat Phoenix at home, and and I loved the interview with Vanessa, the Vanessa had with Royal Ivy at halftime, where he was honest and said, "Yeah, Booker's fired up because he said we got lucky at home, and, and they were out to get us." Well, they hung there, and then Booker gave him even more fuel in the fourth quarter, where I was like, "He's because he, Booker got away with murder all game," and I thought, oh, "This is going to fire the guys up," and it just it, it just didn't. It went south after he made a three, and it looked like they kind of got not disinterested; they just kind of gave up a little bit. Yeah, I don't think Booker wanted any part of uh, Cam Whitmore. No. I think Cam Whitmore had a Kardashian, or I guess it's not a Kardashian joke. It would be a Jenner joke. Uh, but, yeah, he, he didn't want any part of Cam Whitmore. He got out of that as fast as he could. Uh, but you bring up the point, like, they don't th- – my biggest takeaway from them the last couple of games is, like, they don't play great as a team. Like, their chemistry is not very good. And, and I'm not saying that they dislike each other, but you mentioned the side-eye stuff. Like, Jalen Green's rolling there for a little period of time, 
and they're going away from him, and Cam Whitmore's driving to the basket trying a 180 fadeaway layup over three dudes and missing everything. Yep. Or Dylan Brooks is jacking up a three, missed all six that he took, and it's like, okay, guys, like Jalen Green's not on fire very often. How about you keep feeding him for a little bit? Um, and then when Jalen started to struggle a little bit, it's like, okay, he doesn't pass it to a wide-open Cam Whitmore in the corner, and then Whitmore is complaining that he doesn't get the ball. Uh, they're just not in sync. They're not aligned, and I don't know if it's like, – I think it's a reason that they're only 5-24 and 24 away uh, in away games. I think it's a, because of their youth. But this is also why you brought in Dylan Brooks and Fred Van Vliet, because you would think yesterday was the 59th game that they played. This is why you brought in Ime Adoka. You would think that 59 games into the year, they would they would look more in sync and have more chemistry than game number nine. And I'm not sure that they do. No, they don't, Jeremy. And you're omitting one key name in the process that I was looking at. And that's your head coach. Ime Adoka is supposed to look at Cam Whitmore when he goes and takes those ridiculously useless shots that are just so selfish and sit his ass down and say, you know what? If that's what you're going to do, you're going to sit next to me. The same way he benches guys in the fourth quarter or he gets mad at Alpi defensively and otherwise. You have to be consistent because it looks like as much as this team was playing good basketball at the start of the year and they were all on board with him, it looks like it's kind of slipping away a little bit. It looks like everybody's doing what they want now, and there's not that same level of discipline from a coaching staff that I thought was actually getting through to this team. Yeah, I'm not saying that they've regressed. It's just you think that they would be playing better. You're not wrong if you said it, though. Because maybe, maybe it's fatigue. Maybe they're all hitting like these young man wall, like that sort of stuff. Because, I mean, I, I don't think Emei is a bad coach. No, I don't think he's a bad coach, right. But, I, I, look, I think that rightfully so taking on this job obviously he got paid very well and he is the you know the, the unequivocal leader of this squad but there's no doubt he's going to get frustrated because he inherited a bunch of guys that he has he he is challenged sometimes in trying to figure out how do I push the right buttons how do I get this guy to play the way I need him to play and everybody has to be coached differently and you can see at times he knows hey if I go at him right now and I sit him down especially like a Jalen Green there are times he's I'm going to lose him for the rest of the game. And they were in that game, and he was the guy that had it going. So there's no way he's going to do anything to Jalen in that situation. No. Yeah, I, I think he's going to be – I think he is frustrated. I think we're going to see a decent amount of movement uh, in the offseason. Hopefully the Rockets finish with a top-four pick. That way they can keep their first-rounder. I want to have another top-four pick. And then use it as an asset. Like, I, I'd probably use it as an asset and trade it more than actually draft the guy because I think Emei is going to want some, like, actual uh, veterans on this team, more veterans than he already has. Uh, you mentioned Emei. Emei did sound off after the game, kind of directed at Alpi Shingun, saying, look, when these guys aren't scoring, uh, they kind of become energyless and don't help us anywhere else. It, it seems like, you know, he makes quick move and misses it and kind of hangs his head at times. And so that's what I'm saying. You have to continue to play and – um, some tough foul calls that he got, so a few touch fouls. And I think he let it frustrate him a little bit, and obviously he saw the kind of culminate with the, the technicals getting tossed. But a tough night for him offensively, and that's you know one of the guys I'm talking about. It's not your night every night. You still can impact the game, and um, I think we had it to six, you know, three four times in the fourth quarter, and went the other way, and we're that close. And um, my message to him is continue to play, you know, still play defense, still rebound, still do the things, and. We've all seen how it can flip, um, you know, in a quarter or so. And so, got to stay focused as far as that. 
and he's not the only guy, Blinkers. Like <laughs> he was the most recent example. He yeah. was yesterday's example. But this is all of them. This is Jalen. Uh, this is Cam Whitmore. This is your veterans. Dylan Brooks at times does it. Uh, I think Jabari's actually gotten way better at it. Like mm-hmm. Jabari did not have a good offensive game yesterday, and he struggled for the first three quarters. He put up 16 rebounds. Like that's that's impacting winning without scoring the ball. Uh, and you can you can sense like Ime's pro, but yeah, he's frustrated when yep. his guys aren't scoring and then they're not playing anywhere else. Here's the thing: you could take. Alpi's name out of that that soundbite and just about insert everybody else's name. You're right. Jabari at least has learned from the times that he's been, you know, sat down or disciplined and he's he's been able to play through it. But for the most part, especially with the young guys, you could insert just about anybody. And I love Amen's effort, but there are times, too, that he still turns it over. Or he makes mistakes. There's no doubt. Then you mentioned a name that's really starting to frustrate me more and more, and that's Dylan Brooks. I mean, it's one thing to say that I could not believe the money they gave him in the years they gave him, but then when you just see what the, what you're getting for that money, I just don't think that in any way, shape, or form this is what even they thought they were signing up for, but I'm looking at it going, there's not another team in the league that we're gonna pay, was going to pay him close to what he got, and for what he's getting and then what he's doing, I just think... You're you're getting you're not getting close to the return on investment that you wanted. Yeah, I'm more I'm more disappointed with the vets yep. than the young players because young players it's kind of expected. Like Fred VanVleet's giving you everything he's got. He's just kind of limited. You know, he's not like an All Star caliber player. Dylan Brooks is certainly not. Dylan Brooks is a you know glorified role player that can play really good defense. And when he's not hitting shots, he probably shouldn't be on the floor. Uh, the Rockets are just their roster's not where we thought it should be. Uh, because of those vets, and then the young players are still developing. Like, they're chasing their potential. They're chasing their ceiling. They're not there yet, nor should they. They're very, very young. Uh, a bunch of Rocket Cryberry, uh, Crybabies, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Rocket Crybabies. I saw so many people mad at that sixth foul with Alpi Shingun. He fouled him three times. Yep. He, they could have called a foul on Alpi three times on that play, and people were acting like it was the worst call that has ever been made in basketball history. Yeah, no, and it goes back to kind of what we've said, too, about uh, I get it that the, the passionate Rockets fans drank too much red Kool-Aid, and they have one thing. Alpi's just got to get smarter and learn more from uh, – we talk about the whining and the constant looking for the replay, but there's too many times that he he picks up too many silly fouls, and then late in a game, you're like, well, you know, he played hard, he's in foul trouble, but guess what? He could have saved two or three of those fouls if he just played smarter. Sometimes if you get beat, especially on the low block, don't make it worse and compound it by fouling the guy, too. Just back off and say, okay, he got me there to save yourself one. There's times to contest, and then there's times to just kind of take your lunch and, and, and go on to the next play. I think he gets a lot of silly fouls. I think there's a lot of maturity between the ears in terms of understanding the game that still has to develop with him. And, and like uh, Adoka said, too, that also coupled with the fact that he's just got to kind of man up and say, if the shot's not falling or if I didn't get a break to go my way with a call, I just got to do something else to positively impact the game. Can I give you a pet peeve about Alpi, too? Mm-hmm. Look, and I like Alpi. Like, it sounds like I'm an Alpi hater because I, I talk about how much he cries about not getting calls. And, you know, I, I but you're not wrong. point out his foot speed and how he's limited athletically and that hurts him defensively, especially. I've had it. I've had enough. And I know he made one of them. I've had enough of 15 foot wide open one legged jumpers. There is no way he's a better shooter from 15 feet off of one leg than two. I'm sick and tired of it. Get off my lawn, pet peeve, old curmudgeon. I don't care. There's no way he's a better shooter wide open from 15 foot off of one leg than two. 
Um, it's what's Craig calling it, the flamingo. Yeah, I can't stand it. He's wide open. Like yeah. it's it's different if you're defended and you're fading away. Okay, I get it. He's wide open doing it. It um, it, it, the, the, just when you look at fundamentals from a balance standpoint, you would think and, and trying to get the shot on track. There's no way that it says anything other than I guess you get into a certain rhythm and you're in your mind you you get used to doing that. That means you've taken too many of those if you're used to doing that because it looks awkward. I don't know how he makes the ones he makes. And then it almost kind of throws him off when he gets a wide-open three because it looks like he almost wants to go onto <laughs> one leg. And I'm going, what are we doing? The flamingo from three. Harden tried that for a preseason. Yes, he did. Uh, you know, he may – look, the offseason is going to be interesting. You know, a lot of young players, you want them to develop. I think that Jalen Green's lost some value. So, I'm like, I'm not sure I want to trade Jalen Green because I kind of – I really do want to see an offseason where Jalen Green has had – after a year of learning under Ime. This is the first time he's ever heard learned winning basketball, and it certainly influenced, like, and it affected his confidence. I want an offseason for Jalen uh, with Ime, you know, being coached by Ime for a year and then see what he looks like early next year. Uh, maybe that's too late. Maybe you can't do that. I certainly understand. Um, Ime's not going anywhere. He's the face of, that runs the place for the Houston Rockets. What about their general manager? It's it, it's a big conversation, Jeremy. I don't know how much time we have for this one because as long as you want. Yeah, it, literally, I was thinking about this last night watching the game. The way you and I were breaking down Casario yesterday, and it's like when you start looking at Rafael Stone and you start trying to analyze things. And I've talked to I've talked you know obviously you know I talked to a lot of people. A lot of people have told me there are really experienced, really good general managers that are extremely interested in being the next general manager of this team. And his deal is coming up. And when you look at it, and you know I always go with the whiteboard and the positives and the negatives, here's a guy that rightfully should be scrutinized at this point. There are some things he's done well. There are some. There's a lot of things, too, that you can bring to the table and question. And then you have to kind of add it all up when you're Tillman going, I know Patrick, your son, wants to take that job. I don't think he's anywhere close to being ready to do it now. But this is a critical time for this organization. And this is where, when we talk about transitioning from being rebuilding and at the rock bottom to trying to get to that next level, that phase two they talk about, I'm not, I'm not so sure that there isn't a bet that there are other guys out there that would do a better job at this critical time than Rafael Stone, who had no experience coming in. And yes, he's done some good things, but there's a lot that you can't keep doing if you're going to try and put, take this team to the next level. I, there has to be a lot of interest in this job if it becomes open because I think you have a good owner and an owner that's willing to spend. Look what he did last year in the coaching carousel. Like, okay, how did he handle that? He went and got the best one in the market. Uh, you have Ime, who's already a really good coach, widely considered around the league as a top ten guy. And then you have pieces. Like you have – maybe you don't have an all-star right now, but you have a bunch of young pieces that I do think have high potential. You have some veterans that you can like maybe throw into a trade or you can keep around depending on how you want to build your team. I imagine that the job would be very sought after if it did become open. Well, there's no doubt about it. You're right because you have a ton of youth. You have The veteran contracts that you have aren't going to be long-term handcuffing type deals, and they're deals that are workable because – there, there's ways to get around them if you want, but in the meantime, it's not going to hinder you from taking care of the guys you need. And so everything is set up pretty well from that standpoint. But when you look at the fact that Rafael's given up a whole lot of second-round picks, he's traded away a whole lot of things, he's missed on a whole lot of first-rounders, some of the, uh, the, the, the top of the, the line first-rounders we're still trying to evaluate. And, and look, right or wrong, they fell into his lap because he was picking third and he missed on the other two of a top three situation in two of the three years. But overall, while you're still eva- evaluating all those things, you did things like 
you 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 trade you you uh, re-upped Jayshon Tate way before you had to, and, and that wasn't necessary. You force-fed KPJ on a coach that I don't think any people any many people wanted that you wanted because he wouldn't push you and 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 try and take leadership from you. But you kept pushing KPJ when both on and off the floor there was mistake after mistake after you know red flag. And then it became an, it started to come out that it was becoming an issue that the coaching staff and others wanted to move on, and he wanted him to be the starting point guard. Those are things that you can do and you can try taking swings at when you're rebuilding and you're trying to figure what's going on with your team. You now are at a really critical stage. You've got your head coach, as you mentioned. You have a, a nucleus of young players, some of which you're going to develop and, and keep, some of which you want to develop to trade or use to get other players. And right now, you can't have guys that are inexperienced and just you know experimenting on job training. You have to have guys that know what they're doing. Yeah, seven one three seven eight zero ESPN HRP listener line busy show. It's a Friday. It's a getaway show. It's a holiday show, as Granado would say. Who said it? Coming up, can uh, the Killer Bees get revenge against Brian? I highly doubt it. Uh, what is D'Amico Ryan's best attribute? Nico Collins talking about a, an extension, but kind of sounds like he wants to bet on himself for another year. How likely is that? But when we return, uh, let's eliminate positions and names for a moment because we talk about free agency, the offseason, and we talk about the positions. We talk about the names. We talk about the prices. What is one thing you want to improve on each side of the ball? Let's limit to that. Take away the names. Take away the positions. What is one area of the game you want to improve on each side of the ball? 713-780-ESPN. We're on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. ESPN Houston on YouTube. 713-780-3776. Killer Beast, ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Hey, before we go to the break, it's the weekend, and that means golf could be in your future. Or maybe you want to watch the Rockets game Saturday night and look for a great place to do it. Maybe you want to do both. You want to hit some golf balls and watch some sports. X-Golf and Katy, it is the latest indoor golf facility, but it's the best in my opinion because the simulators are unbelievable. They are so on point that they measure everything. The distance, uh, the, 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 the spin, everything with your shots, and then the putting, which I think is so critical with simulators where a lot of simulators miss. The putting is lifelike. It is just like hitting, your, hitting putts on a regular green. You can go there when the weather's bad. You can go there when it's dark out. You can go there whenever you want. And because it's a sports bar with great food and drink too, you can combine both and have an unbelievable evening or middle of the day. Check them out today. Go to X Golf Online, X Golf and Katie. It's the newest, latest, and greatest indoor golf facility in the area. I love it. You will too. Live in the Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's the Killer Bees. Now back to Joel and Jeremy. He's blank. I'm Bradham. We are the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5. 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line. 713-780-3776. Let's eliminate positions and names for a moment. Because I think this is what general managers and coaches do. Like, what did D'Amico Ryan say the day after they were eliminated from the playoffs? we got to get better in this and that. Uh, they're not talking names. Okay, so we're going to get better at this and that. And then you say, okay, let's go into the free agency. How can we address this? How can we get better in this? Uh, same thing for the draft. Okay, how, how do we address this? How can we get better at this? So let's eliminate positions. Let's eliminate names for a moment. What is one thing you want to improve on each side of the ball? Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Blankers, you call it. Offense, defense, I don't care. What do you want to improve on whatever side of the ball you're selecting first? Well, I'll start with 
the obvious because of names that have been already kicked around, but because it's going to benefit everybody, and that would be improve the consistency of the running game. I think that the more balance that you can create with a more consistent running game, the more opportunities you have to kind of get the defense where you want them to be and also give C.J. Uh, enough opportunity to maneuver and, and to work instead of, you know, highly pass-oriented. They're focused more on the pass. They, you know, you start alienating the run or it's not successful and the defenses really have an advantage. You know that the, I, I still believe in the majority of this offensive line, and I think they're going to figure it out at left guard, Any and, and, and it, I think they already have it figured out at center. I just think that the running game has to be more consistent. You can't experiment with Pierce. You know, a, a Singletary, he had some good moments, but you need a guy that can, can basically you can count on to do that almost you know every game. Yeah, I'm, I'm with running game there too. And if you go back to D'Amico, it's it's running game. And I think that if you take a straw poll of our listeners and you pull you pull the hive or just Texans fans in general, I think that that would be the most popular answer. Uh, the running game, the, no doubt, the running game. Now, who who is your well, who gives you confidence in left guard? Like that's the pushback that I have because I, I don't have confidence at left guard. You no, know, I, I think that they have the majority. When I said the majority of the line figured out, I, I think that whether they draft a left guard in the third or fourth round, or you know somewhere in the draft, or they figure out that there's a veteran or two that they can bring in, similar to what they did right before the start of the season and during the early parts of the season last year, mm-hmm. that you can you can at least supplement and ins- give yourself an insurance policy if Green ends up not being the guy, and if you truly want Juice as your center then that's what you're going to do. But you got to have a plan. It can't be a plan on the fly like a year ago. you got to figure it out. I would love to say that Kenyon Green has learned from his, his while he's been injured and from his mistakes, and he's understood pass blocking more, and he's going to come in and be a different guy. I just I have no confidence in that. So short, you know, I, I keep saying that I think where they can really cash in is kind of on the cap casualty list as well. There are some guards out there that you can kick the tires on, and I'd be interested in that as well. But I think one way or another, they've got to either bring in as competition or bring in as a guy that's going to start in their mind because they don't believe in green. But I, yeah. I just figure they got to figure that out. I, I like a guy that can start. I don't like the first plans that you had. Like draft the guy in the third or fourth rounds more like a project developmental piece. Like that's not a guy you can count on starting. I know that Jared Patterson started in a pinch last year, but that was never in their wildest dreams. And then if you're signing like some f- random free agent right before training camp or even like before the year, like they traded for, for Kendrick Green of the Steelers. He was going to get cut. Like he's right. kind of a journeyman, just a guy. Uh, he's a warm body. And if we're saying that the most important thing is for the Houston Texans to improve their running game on the offensive side of the ball. That's why I'm okay attacking a left guard. There's not a left guard on this roster that I'm comfortable going into the season and being like, yeah, that's the guy that's going to help our running game. Again, running game's the priority. Running game's the focus to improve to kind of help C.J. Stroud out a little bit. But we'll talk wide receiver at 23, but we won't talk a stud interior offensive lineman. Doesn't make any sense to me. I'm cool with four of the five offensive linemen you have. I'm cool with Laramie, obviously. Me too. Uh, Wish him well in his surgery from from knee surgery. I'm cool with Juice Scruggs being a center. Juice Scruggs. Ruggs is a center. He's not a left guard. Juice was okay to pretty good at left guard. He was good for a rookie who was kind of playing out of position and coming off an injury. Relative to the left guards around the entire NFL, he was was average to slightly above average. Uh, I don't – like, Jarrett Patterson was a great story. 
I think Jarrett Patterson is a backup interior offensive lineman. Maybe he can be a starter someday. I'm not comfortable going into next season with him as my starting left guard, but my focal point is trying to improve the running game. I'm cool with Shaq, and I'm cool with Titus Howard playing right tackle. Left guard is a concern of mine, uh, and how can it not be? Kenyon Green was not good as a rookie, didn't play a single down last year in the regular season because of an injury. I don't trust Kendrick Green, sorry. Uh, same thing with Jarrett Patterson. Juice Scruggs is my center. So... I'm I'm fine if the Houston Texans have high on their priority list because, you know, running the football is the focal point of our offense going into 2024. I'm okay with them aggressively attacking left guard. Yeah, I, I can see that because I think that when you're looking at it, and there are, look, there's Tomlinson from the Jets and there's Whitehair from the Bears and, and, and there's going to be more that are going to be set, you know, set loose to where you you can at least kick the tires. But kind of the way you found Fant, you brought some guys in in the past that ended up being more than serviceable. You're right. You have to look at that from the standpoint of trying to not just be serviceable because it's twofold. You're worried about your quarterback at all times and his safety and security, and you are trying to upgrade the running game. And and if you're trying to do that, you know that you know that's an integral part of the running game. So um, I, I'm okay with them exploring multiple different options for getting a guy um, because I, I'm with you. I like the majority of that offensive line. But I think just the same way we are looking at running backs, plural, because you can get a, a lot of different variety in your offense based on a thunder and lightning approach or having a two-headed monster because, you know, injuries are going to happen too. But you got to do it twofold. You got to look at the, that guard position and you got to look at the running back position. And how do I upgrade both? Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Brian, what is your one focal point offensively for the Texans? Oh, it, I mean, it is running game, but I'll go different just so to we so we can expand upon the conversation. And it's still running the ball, but it's stopping the other team from running the ball. And that was the other thing Tomiko brought up in his postseason press conference after the loss to the Ravens. Just how easily, especially in the second half, the Ravens pushed them around. And we did see that for a bit in the Week 18 game against the Colts as well uh, before they started the Texans figured it out, I guess, sometime in the third quarter. So, uh, especially, you know, Sheldon Rankins, he was on a one-year deal. He's gone. Uh, we all think Jonathan Grenard is gone. So, there's two starters right away on the defensive line. And it was a defensive line that you still wanted to prove the run defense anyway. So, uh, I think run defense is the one of, one of the most glaring needs in uh, uh, places they have uh, room for improvement on the, on the roster. Brian didn't understand the assignment. No, he did not. We'll turn, it, we'll turn it right into the segue. What do you need to see on the defensive side? Brian already gave us uh, his, what is ours. What is yours? What is the running game offensively is the focal point. What about the defensive side? Brian says stopping the running game, being strong in the trenches. What is yours? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Broadcasting live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's the Killer Bees with Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. On ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. This new voice guy says my last name better than the last guy. He's blank on brand. Says a lot of other things better than the last guy. We're the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5. 713-780-ESPN. So what is the focal point to improve on each side of the ball? A couple of people on the Twitter talking about the offense on offense, the run game. Uh, O-line depth, tight ends that can block. That's kind of interesting because that would probably eliminate Dalton Schultz Mm -hmm. uh, from that conversation. Uh, Our offensive line was injured all year, so I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Okay, okay. But does that – who's your left guard in that scenario? Like, I'm curious for people who don't 
care about offensive line. Like, don't care about left guard. Like, oh, well, our offensive line's good enough. Um, we had injuries last year. Okay. All right. I hear you. I got you. You're right. Who's your starting left guard? Like, that's, that's the counter question that I have. If you have confidence in the offensive line, who is your starting left guard? Which, I mean, to your point, like, hey, address it in free agency, find a Find a Shaq Mason. You find a Shaq Mason last year via the trade market who was solid at right guard. Go find Shaq Mason at left guard. Like, that's cool. That's fine. I'm mm-hmm. cool with that. And if Kenyon Green beats that guy out, excellent. Yep. That's awesome. No, you're absolutely right. Look, I think that that's all about when we start talking about upgrading this team because Kenyon Green's specialty is supposed to be run blocking. And so he's he's supposed to be the kind of guy that should fit perfectly in what you're trying to do, but he's such a liability in pass blocking that it screws everything up. So, you know, you're right from the standpoint of we need two deeps in a lot of positions. It goes back to the conversation that you and I have had, about, and we keep saying, look, you, your overall depth on the roster has to improve as you want this team to improve. It's not just the starter. We saw how just completely decimated by injuries the offensive line got, and you know that their first line of thinking is, let's play musical chairs. Well, nothing screws with the continuity, especially in the running game, that when you have to move guys around and you're moving Howard from tackle to guard and you're moving guys around and shuffling juice and, and doing all the things you had to do. So you want to try and make sure that you prepare no matter what the scenario, but if injuries do happen, that you're not forced to do that kind of stuff again. Yeah, and I'm more I'm more offensive line is good for the running game than I am running back good for the running game. That's why I'm not like in favor of spending $13 million on uh, on Saquon Barkley. Uh, 713-780-3776. What about the defensive side? BMAC said get better against the run. Where are you at, Blinkers? Well, I think that tight end is a position that they really – I'm just kidding. I was just, I was just kidding. <laughs> well done. I told Brian I, like I was going to go get him. You say I never liked your jokes. I like that okay, one. That was there good. you go. I like that. That was good. Um, I'm not going to say the obvious that, that everybody is going to say that Brian mentioned that D'Amico said. I'm going to say the back end of the defense. I'm going to say safeties. I, I think Petrie had a very less than year. I think that we already talked about the fact that Jimmy Ward, I don't feel, should be a part of this football team going forward. I think they should cut him. They should move on from him. But safeties become more and more important as you become better, too, and you start facing good teams in the way that not only that they throw the football the way you have to read and come up, I believe that they have to improve the safeties. And Petrie can be improved by just kind of being better. Yeah. But I think they have to replace Jimmy Ward with a better safety. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think that Petrie did have a, a bad year uh, for his standards. Like, it wasn't, like, awful in the NFL, like, whatever. Like, but we expected Jalen Petrie to turn into this star defensively. And, and he wasn't that. He, he was kind of just who he was in his rookie year, maybe some ways worse. The thing that I was encouraged by watching, you know, watching every snap, not patting myself on the back, but just watching him, it was never, like, athleticism. It wasn't Jimmy Ward, oh, he's a step slow. It wasn't this guy's not capable it was more mental stuff and I think it was adjustment to the scheme I also think to your point if you get a good safety next to him who's maybe better in coverage and he's better at taking away the deep throws well now you can put him in the box a lot Mm -hmm. more which he's much more suited for in my opinion so I think that you can elevate Jalen Petrie's game in two ways one his second year in the system and trying to be comfortable in that system and just kind of being more in sync with what D'Amico Ryans wants. And then secondly, a good safety opposite of him that highlights his strengths more. So I, I like where you're going there. I, the running game obviously is a good one too. Uh, I think that they need to be better at stopping explosive plays. D'Amico was pretty good at scheming against another team's running game with the exception of two teams, the Colts. And the Ravens. Colts and Ravens got them uh, both times. And I think Shane Steichen's really good, especially in the run game. And then Baltimore, obviously, best running game in the NFL. Um, So, yeah, it's always better to be against the run. 
I think it's explosive plays. And you kind of touched on it a little bit with safety play because I think that Jalen Petrie gave up a lot of big plays because he wasn't great at covering the deep ball. The safety opposite of him can kind of alleviate that. Uh, But also I think it's a good linebacker who can tackle. So it's kind of a two-for-one. It's, yeah, give me that safety, give me that really good linebacker, maybe Al Shahir, who we talked about yesterday, Mm -hmm. who isn't going to allow – those four or five-yard runs that the Ravens had turn into 13, 14-yard runs, things like that. So I like that one because it's kind of two birds, one stone, and I think those are a couple of areas that would really help them. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about just the, the entire middle of the field because we already know, and Brian mentioned, D'Amico wants to improve run defense and, and strengthen the defensive line. But that middle of the field, if Christian Harris is truly going to develop, he needs someone next to him that can kind of handle the dirty work inside a little bit more. He can move around a little bit more. The safety is the same thing. Handle the middle of the field. And I think that Jimmy Ward was brought in to be a mentor to Petrie while he still was, in in D'Amico's mind, capable of doing what he was brought in to do. And it's just, from an injury standpoint, it never developed. And then he was, you know, Petrie was constantly on the field with musical chairs trying to figure out, you know, who he was playing next to, let alone how they weren't going to help him. He had to help them. So I think that's... The middle of the field is extremely important, and I really think that if D'Amico gets another gets a linebacker that he's worked with previously, that can only help the development of your young defensive front seven. You see, I like Harris too, but if mm-hmm. you get that, like he to me, he's not a middle linebacker. No, that's what I mean. And I do think that I think that D'Amico wants to play way more four three. Like mm-hmm. if you go, I, I don't know the like the line of demarcation whenever that was. But when the Texans hit that line of demarcation, like six, seven, eight games, somewhere in that window of them trying to improve defensively, they they played 4-3 about 3% of the time. And I'm not kidding. Like, their base defense became nickel. Desmond King was on the field for 95% of snaps. It might have been when Tavier Thomas got hurt. and Desmond King, like, full-time took over. He got benched before he got hurt, I think. I think he got hurt on special teams after he got benched. But whenever Thomas got benched and they brought back King and then King took over, I think, the second week he was with the team, they went nickel 95% of their defensive plays. And to me, that is not what D'Amico Ryans wants. I think D'Amico Ryans, now it depends on what the offense is doing, but I think D'Amico wants that way closer to 50-50 than he wants it at 90-10. I would really agree. I would tend to agree with you. And I think that King became a hybrid linebacker in a lot of ways. And we remember, remember he's made, he made some big plays late in the season, just sticking his nose in and stopping, you know, running backs and, and making key stops that you would expect that you would get help in the middle of your, your linebacking core. I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, I'm not saying Christian Harris needs to slide over and sit down. I just think that Christian Harris with a true stronger you know, middle linebacker type next to him would be, could become even better. And I think that you're right that he wants to get more into that when he has the right personnel, and I don't think he had the right personnel. Yeah, I don't either. Do you want Desmond King back? I think there's a place for him here. I, I really do. I, I think that he's versatile. He does. He's a special teams guy. I, I don't think he played badly in pass coverage, but I think that when he was on the field, the things that he was capable to do physically helped them. So I think unlike last year where they took him all the way to the start of the season, cut him, and then had to bring him back, I think there's a place for him from a depth perspective on this team. I'm not saying he should be a starter per se, but I think there's a spot for him. Yeah, I well, I mean, you're only going to pro- carry one nickel, so you, you like you you would be that. I'm know, assuming you're starting not starting nickel packages. Yeah. I, I'm I'm in favor of him back too. Like they should have never cut him in the first place. Mm-hmm. That's kind of one of the things that everybody lets Nick Casario slide for and this window thing too. I don't know why people aren't as worked up and been out of shape about that window that I am. Uh, 713-780-3776. Someone tweeted in and said Braylon Allen. I'm a fan of him in the middle rounds. You saw a lot of Braylon Allen. 
Uh, this is the yes. dude that's jacked mm-hmm. up, and J.J. Yep. Watt's like, that's not what I look like whenever I was that age. Some people that don't like J.J. Watt have a counter to that. I'm not saying it. I don't want to get Albert Pujols. Um, what did you think of Braylon Allen? Because he is jacked. He's got a lot of ability, Jeremy. He's he's He is physical, and he's he's big, but he's he, for the most part, he's a punisher. But he can run. He can catch Ooh. a little bit. You know, he brings a lot to the table that I think I could see fitting in this system. The problem was Wisconsin's offensive line what is not was not anything close to what it has been over the past decade or two. And he got beat up a lot. And he took a lot of hits and the initial contact. He still gained some yards after contact, but it started to take its toll on him. But I think he's got a lot of ability, and I think he's obviously going to slide. I don't think that he's – I think you could get him in, like, the fifth round, fourth or fifth round. I think if you could find a guy like yeah. that there, I think he'd be a perfect complement to whoever your number one is. There's a lot of those uh, – those running backs in the third, fourth round that, that intrigue me. Cody Stutes of uh, Houston Football. Name sounds familiar. He said the Texans met with Wisconsin, Braylon Allen, and Oregon running back Bucky Irving at the combine. They've met with, like, everybody, it seems like. And it actually does matter because I went back and looked at um, at who the Texans met with last year. They met with a lot of guys that they drafted, like Stroud, obviously, Will Anderson, obviously. But they met with Tank. They met with Dylan Horton, who they drafted. Mm-hmm. So, like, they do target guys that they're interested in. Uh, it's not just bluff. Oh, and by the way, Bucky Irving of Oregon. Big, intimidating, tall guy? 5'10". Oh. 5'10", Bucky Irving. Hmm. Just saying. Mm-hmm. 713-780-ESPN-HRMP listener line, 713-780-3776. We all think that C.J. Stroud is the most important piece to the Houston Texans. Probably the most important piece the Houston Texans have ever had. Fair to say that. Mm-hmm. What do you have to do this offseason to give C.J. Stroud what he needs to take care of your biggest weapon that you've ever had in franchise history? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Now back to the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. He's Blank, I'm Branham. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Uh, Texter's letting us know that J.C. Jackson just got released. Would you be interested in him? Uh, I'm not. I'm out. Uh, 28. He's still not super old, but, you know, past his prime. Um, he was awful last week with or last year with the Patriots, like really, really bad. He fell off, but that's tough when you think that past his prime is twenty eight. NFL, eh, I think thirties is when they start falling off, right? I think thirty is way past your prime for an NFL corner. Huh. I think you're in your prime as an NFL corner, and look, like some people would say that I'm not great defining primes. Um, I think that you're at your prime as an NFL corner between the ages of twenty five and twenty eight. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I still think that there are there. Were, I mean, obviously, when you're talking about what at what level, but I think that a lot of the premier corners were able to maintain into their early 30s. Yeah, but were they better in their 30s than they were when they were 27 and 28? Probably not. But yeah, I think that's 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 what I mean. I mean, like I think, if you just look at the average shelf life of a corner, and then you, you just kind of like Revis curve it and out. Dion and guys like that were, but I mean, they're I don't rare. So. I think they were at their best when they were 25 through 28. I, I, I think Revis and Dion were still pretty damn good at 30, sure, 31, Sure, but we're not comparing Dion being good versus other 35-year-olds. We're comparing Dion in his 30s versus Dion between 25 and 28. Yeah, I mean, may, maybe especially for skill positions where you got to be extremely, you know, the quick twitch, maybe mm-hmm. that it is it goes a little l- less than that. I just always thought 30 was when you start di- digressing. 
The um, I know a lot of people don't love the pro football focus grades. Um, I, I I think you can look at them as like a blanket. Like you need to be very careful with how you use them. In 2022, J.C. Jackson had a player grade of 28.7, which is a big, bright red box next to his name, which means he was tragic <laughs> defensively. Last year, he got a little better, 34.8, a little orangey instead of ready. Uh, I no, I so you're saying he's no Stevie Nelson? No, not even close. I it, to me, it'd be J. C. A. Later, Jackson. Yeah. Bad then joke. We'll pass. Uh, that's three seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Grade the joke. Yeah, I'm not interested in J. C. Uh, I'm out on J. C. Jackson. I would agree. Uh, four nine nine five. Do y'all think that using Collins in a Debo role is a good idea? Meaning that he runs the ball in some games. I mean, no, but I think that you know, I think that they've found ways to get him the ball quickly off the line of scrimmage to try and do some things like that. I think they'll continue to do that. I don't need them to go full-blown Debo. That would mean that that they didn't get enough uh, additions to their running game. Never go full Debo is what you're saying. I think they're very different players. Like, Nico's – I mean, Nico's good, like, running after the catch. Like, he's a yak king. Uh, Debo, obviously, very good with the ball in his hands, too. Uh, Nico's bigger. Like, Nico's 6'4". Debo's, what, 6'1", 6'2". I don't think that Nico's as suited for it as Debo, nor do I really want him to be. Like, they gave gave it to him a few times on end of rounds and things like that. But Mm -hmm. I I don't need that to be a big part of Nico's game at all. Think about it with Debo, too. What was the biggest problem that happened late in the year for the Niners? He got hurt. And then you don't have him in either in either facet of the offense the way you want because he's limited because he's in a shoulder harness and he's you know a percentage of the player that he normally is. You just Nico's just fine where he's at and he can like you said he can run the ball a few times on you know a sweep or a quick out. But I don't need him being full blown Debo. Yeah, me either. Uh, Ten forty seven more hybrid linebacker in the nine two seven one says safety. Let's flip this to the C J Stroud part of mm-hmm. this because with any conversation you have about the Texans, you have to have it about C J Stroud. We think that C J Stroud's the best asset the Houston Texans have ever had. Uh, maybe some people would push back on that. Well, you got a Hall of Famer. You got J J Watt, three time Defensive Player of the Year, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But certainly the most important asset that you have right now. How much? of this offseason should be trying to bring the most out of C.J. Stroud, taking care of your biggest asset, maybe with spending some money to bring some assets for C.J. Stroud. How much would you factor him in, and then in what areas do you have to bring in to get the most out of him? Well, I think it's maximizing your biggest investment, and your biggest investment or your most important player is obviously C.J. Stroud. So then I want to maximize – everything about when he's on the field and what he can do. So therefore, to me, I want to get both from the running game and with the tight end, I want to make sure that there's as much opportunity to have his safety valves and the pass-catching elements of a running back maximized. I want guys out of the backfield that are capable of catching it and going and going consistently. I need a tight end that, yeah, Dalton Schultz had his moments. I think they can get better from a pass-catching perspective. Um, And then, as we touched on, just the overall running game. If the running game is better, period, running the football, CJ should be better and there should be more balance in this offense. But for me, I would like to get a little, I would upgrade the the pass-catching abilities at running back and at tight end. Yeah, I I think it's I mean it's starting first with like how much you would invest. To me, it's half of your significant moves. That's what I would want to invest in making sure CJ Stroud is set up for success and avoids a sophomore sophomore slump. And what I mean by that, it, let's say you make two significant free agent moves. And significant doesn't mean Mike Evans money, but just say somewhere close to ten million dollars a year. And then with your first and second round pick, half of those need to be 
making sure C.J. Stroud is in a good position to grow and not take a step back. And I think specifically, it doesn't have to be with the first-round pick, but I'm not against it. It doesn't have to be in free agency with someone as good as Mike Evans, but I think it needs to be someone who can jump in and be your third wide receiver right away. But it needs to be wide receiver. I don't want to put C.J. Stroud, especially if he doesn't have Dalton Schultz, in a situation where one receiver gets hurt, you know, Nico missed multiple games, Tank missed the second half of the year, and now he's trying to have to make chicken salad out of chicken you-know-what know, you know with Xavier Hutchison and John Mechie. So Is that Chinese? Exactly. It's. Uh, I, I think it's. Well, there's a wrestling. Sounds pretty good. There's there's a there's a wrestling joke in there. I don't, know if, I don't know if you got it, but uh, yeah. I just look. There's things that we saw, and Nico. Or not not Nico. C.J. Stroud is good enough to mask a lot of these and get through them. And the Texans Texans still succeeded in spots where maybe we didn't expect them to, especially the the Browns playoff game, or at least not to the level that we expected them to. But I don't want to have to ask C.J. Stroud to duct tape you know, the, the wide receiver room because, you know, one guy goes down and everything falls apart. I'm with you on that, Brian. I, I like where your mind's at. And, and for me, I don't really care about the draft capital that you're spending because I think you can find some, like, good offensive players in the middle rounds, like Nico, Tank, uh, Damian Pierce before he wasn't a scheme fit. Um, so, like, yeah, I'm cool with that. Like, I, I'd be totally fine if they drafted receiver in the third and running back in the fourth. Like, you could even go defense first round, second round, but if you give me a receiver in the third and then a running back in the fourth, those are things that can help uh, C.J. Stroud. I'm a proponent of a left guard because uh, I do think the running game would help C.J. Stroud too. Like, give me a good running game, and then what does that do for C.J. Stroud's play action? Like, watch these San Francisco offenses, like whether it's Miami, whether it's San Francisco, how much do they get off of play action? A lot. I don't think the Houston Texans were very good in play action last year because defenses didn't really respect the running game all that much. So I like where you're at with the receiver, whatever, wherever he ranks in the trio. You need to find a tight end. I'm not really that picky on who the tight end is. Like, I'd rather not go into the season with Brevin Jordan as my starter. I like him as my number two. Maybe he's battling for the number one. But I think you can, I think you can give him a lot of help without actually spending a lot, whether it's draft capital or finances, too. Yeah, no, I, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I I just need someone that can catch the football. And it would be great if they could do both like a tight end supposed to do. But like a Noah Fant, I don't think Noah Fant's going to break the bank. I think Noah Fant could be really good in this system, truly having a, a C.J. Stroud-type quarterback based on what he's dealt with since he's been a pro. I think there are guys out there, whether they're a little older or a little younger and have been in the wrong situation like Fant, um, you're going to find guys that can do what you need them to do. But if you truly want to maximize CJ, you have to give him every opportunity with weapons and to open up the offense as much as possible, whether it be safety valves or called plays that come out of a play action. Uh, Logan Thomas got cut today. I wish it was three years ago. I used to be in love with like Logan, Logan Thomas was like my dark horse tied in for like two to three years. Uh, big dude, 6'6", 250, but he's just too old now. He's like 33. Uh, Who's the I, other one like that? Hunter Henry? Hunter Henry. I don't think Hunter Henry's as old, though. But he, no, he's, he's had Thompson's tons of injuries. Older. But I'm saying, but Hunter Henry was the guy that a couple years ago was yeah. really, really on his game. Back and now his, it's like, uh, eh. He maybe, it maybe didn't ever lived up to the hype. Like, he was more hype than, like, actual production, but still, like, a really good tight end. Yeah, but, like, whenever he, he was with the Chargers. So, yeah, I mean, the year he, he was with the Chargers, he was, right. like, that mm-hmm. was those were, his, those were his heyday. I, like, I do heydays. like uh, Joel's suggestion of Noah Fant because, I mean, he comes from tight end university with Iowa, which that seems like half the good tight ends in the league have come out of Iowa. So, And he came <laughs> out with, I believe, first-round pedigree. And yeah. I remember in, a, in a, tech, a game against the Texans, I believe it was his rookie year, he showed some unbelievable athleticism 
some of the same athleticism that we saw uh, in college at Iowa, which really stands out when you're watching Iowa football and someone's athletics. So, you know, you, you put him in Denver, you put him in Seattle, he hasn't had great quarterback play. Uh, he hasn't been a world beater. I believe his he hasn't cracked 700 yards yet in the season, but certainly he's at an age at 26. Mm-hmm. He's shown athleticism. He's got good pedigree. Uh, I would like to see the Texans give Noah Fan a shot and maybe, uh, you know, boost his career up uh, actually playing with a good quarterback. I'm cool with that. Like, I'd rather have Noah Fan at five than Dalton Schultz at ten and a half. Oh, absolutely. Like, I- I'm totally cool with that. That's why, I- that's why I don't really care about the finances or which draft pick you're using. Like, to me, if it doesn't need to be half the money. It doesn't need to be alternating first, second round picks. Just, just go help it. Just go help the offense. However way you do that, it could be cheap. It could be without your top two picks. That's also the way that when we were talking about getting creative. So if you only got to spend half the money you would spend on Dalton Schultz at tight end to get a Noah Fant, then where are you going to use the money you save to try and enhance another position to find another starter to get another guy that maybe you had budgeted a little lower for, but you can add a little supplement to it to get a better player so that you upgrade the position regardless of who left and who you bring in. Three six six seven. Uh, more beef on the offensive line. I really only think there's one spot where you need beef on the offensive line. It's just line. left guard. It's just left guard. Mm-hmm. Like, because you're you're. I mean, you you need like a swing tackle. Like, you probably need to sign a swing tackle because Fant's going to be gone. I imagine because he can probably be a starter somewhere. I don't think they're bringing back Charlie Heck. So cool. Like swing tackle. But those guys are dime a dozen. Uh, it, it's only left guard. It's only left guard. Uh, third target wide receiver tight end. We all agree there. That's where Brian was at. And then platoon a rookie running back. I like the idea of a Singletary rookie running back, and then maybe a cheap veteran who you're trying to, you know, get something out of. I'm just thinking who's the well. Um, what's his name? The Vikings. Madison. Madison today. That that's a guy that I looked at saying, well, he had 30 catches out of the backfield. I think he, he, he could actually – he's not not your main guy per se, but I think he could add something to the Texans both in the pass game and the run game where he might come cheap and you might be able to get a guy like that. It's plenty left in the tank. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not huge on Madison. Uh, I was at the start of the year. I thought Madison was really going to, like, take off. But he got beat out by Ty Chandler by the end of the year. Like, they were giving Ty Chandler burn over Alexander Madison. And it's Ty, like. And Ty okay. Chandler did something with it, too, or Madison yeah. had it. I, this might be like the fantasy, the burns of a fantasy player probably. who had it's probably exactly Madison. what it is. But, uh, yeah, no, he, he disappointed me this year. 3209, are we done with Pierce? Um, he's going to be on the roster, but I'm not counting on him to do anything. He's cheap. He's versatile in the fact that he can use them on special teams. He's not going to be your number one back. He's not going to be anything like he was the first year he was here. But, yeah, they're not just going to let him walk because of the fact that he's cheap and he's a, he's a decent football player. Is it fair to call him the running back equivalent to Davis Mills? Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I think I hate I hope the fact that um, Petrie isn't that, too. But, you know, from a year ago when we were saying your best defensive player was Petrie and your best offensive player was Pierce, yeah, and you throw Davis Mills for, to your comparison – yeah, two of the three look like that. that that's they're they're exactly mirror images of each other. I hope that Petrie's not the third. Nine four seven zero is not happy with us. CJ can take the crown from JJ when he wins three offensive player of the year awards. I hope we're not jinxing CJ. One season, although really good, doesn't make him the best player the Texans have ever had. We said best asset, right? Didn't say best player. And I, yeah, and I didn't even say best asset. I'm saying most important. I mean, the quarterback. Sorry, it's that's the most important position in all sports. CJ is going to take precedent. I agree. Ocho says Madison doesn't have any shake and bake to his game. All right, Ricky Bobby. Yeah, you uh, shut your mouth, Ocho. Worry more about scouting college basketball. He says he's basically another Damian Pierce. <laughs> like, who would have thought that in a like 365 days ago that we would be using Damian Pierce as an insult to other running backs? 
It's true. <laughs> we're, we're insulting other running backs, calling them a Damian Pierce. If you would have said that a year ago, you'd be like, oh, cool, he's a top 20 running back in the NFL. Now yeah. he's a guy who doesn't have anything that can give you anything. Zero production left in that body. Well, that's the like. 180s that a season can do because a year ago we weren't talking about trying to make this team Super Bowl ready, and now we're talking about trying to make a team Super Bowl ready. It may, maybe that needs to be the case study. Obviously, Saquon, much greater, greater, greater sign player than Damian Pierce. But maybe that's the case study that we need to think about when we're talking about, uh, you know, signing guys like Saquon and Barkley that might not be a scheme fit. Damian Pierce, as you said, Jeremy, looked like a top 20 running back, would have easily surpassed 1,000 yards if he hadn't missed the last three or four games. And now he can't even get a carry. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's not a scheme, scheme fit. Matters. Scheme like, matters. Scheme matters so much. 713-780-ESPN-HRMP listener line, 713-780-3776. Maybe you can trade up for a fourth. Uh, Fromber Valdez, oh boy, the spring training outing was not very good. Are you good with Fromber calling his own pitches, which apparently he's doing? And how much stock are you putting into his spring training start number one earlier today? It's the Killer Bees on 